Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. You know, last week, Pastor Brent led us through a, kind of a, it was a New Year's message. It was about our personal lives and kind of taking the opportunity of a change of seasons, change of the calendar to do an inventory of our personal lives and look at where we've been and where we are and where we're going and just pause to say, God, what do you want to say to us about the coming year? What do you want to say to us about changes we might need to make or, or a word of hope that you want us to lean into and grab a hold of this year? So uh, it, kind of in a similar, kind of a two-step you know, beat, we're going to do the same thing this morning, talking about who we are corporately as a church and leaning into who has God made us to be uh, who are we today and, and what's he calling us into as we move into a new year? And so as part of that, um, we're gonna be leaning into our origin story. Um, think about where we've come from. Vineyard Boise is a, a, is a local church that's about 35 years old. Um, some of you might be a little bit shocked by that if you've been here for a big part of it. It's like 35 years, really? Um, but I did the math. And it's been, it's been 35 years since the church was planted in 1989. And it was planted by, by Try and Nancy Robinson uh, and a group of about 50 people, about 12 families who immigrated here from California, of all places, uh, <laughs> at a time when it was not popular to move from California to Boise. And, you know, here's the thing. We've always said this. Uh, I've always said this. Sometimes people are a little reluctant when they come to Idaho to share that they moved here from California. And I always tell them, you know what? We would not have a church if it wasn't for people bravely immigrating from California to a new land. And so, um, so welcome, you know? We, um, we say yes to Californians. So anyway, they moved here in 1989 to begin a brand new work. And... Uh, Though many of you, I know many of you um, need no introduction to Pastor Try, uh, but many of you have never had the privilege of sitting under his leadership or under his teaching. And so this morning, you're gonna get the opportunity to do that in a, a brief way. Uh, some of you have uh, maybe have seen Try on video in some of our welcome environments like 101 and, and, and um, our meet and greet. But today you're going to have the privilege of hearing from him as he t- comes to tell the origin story. So would you welcome Pastor Tri Robinson? Well, good morning. Gosh, this is a nostalgic experience. Uh, a lot of you probably wonder where I, where, where's he get, where's that guy been, you know? Uh, but actually, I, just briefly, just to say, uh, the last four years or so, I've had some uh, medical challenges. I, actually, right when I retired, I had prostate cancer. That was one thing, and then, and then I ended up with a, a stroke and had it, it was had to have a surgery on my carotid artery. Then I, then I got a, something I find that a lot of old men get. It's called PMR, which took me two, two, about two years to learn how to, what it meant, which was phylomyalgia rheumatica, which is a autoimmune disease that affects your joints and muscles. And then COVID hit. And then I had a horse wreck, worst in my life. I've had lots. And that one put me in the hospital. And anyway, it's been a rough journey, but I've been told to stay away from people. <laughs> and so I, uh, because I can't, you know, I can't get sick. And so uh, I have become what I call a Protestant monk, uh, which means I can be happily married. Uh, and, uh, and so Nancy and I, for those who don't know us, we've, we've always lived 
kind of the country life, and uh, we live on what we call a sustainable farmstead uh, about an hour out of Boise in the mountains, which was a challenge. If anybody had a challenge to get here today, it was us. And, uh, and we live there. We pretty much grow all of, all of our own food organically. We have a vineyard, and, um, and it's just a great place to be a monk. I work in my vineyards and prune my grapes, and we have a chapel that we've built, a granite chapel up on the hill, and and um, so we're sort of self-contained. And uh, so, if you haven't seen me, it's because I've almost died about three times, and uh, but here I am, and I'm feeling pretty good, and it's very nostalgic. So it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm really. Uh, and it's a privilege to be asked to come and t tell this story after 35 years. You know, Nancy was pointing out that it's half our life ago, which it's amazing I can remember the story. It's a good thing. It's actually on, it's, it's been on video, YouTube, other places. The story's been told many times and, uh, and reenacted. But... Uh, and I, so I'm not going to tell you the long version, but I, I want to just say that um, it was the, the reason this church is here. Um, Nancy and I met at the College of Idaho in the 60s. Went, uh, I was an uh, education major. I got my master's in administrative education. Went, I couldn't get a, a job in Idaho, so went back to Southern California to live on a my family's original homestead on the kind of the southern end of the Sierra Nevadas. And no electricity, spring-fed water. Uh, Nancy was a city girl. Uh, learned to become a, a country girl pretty rapidly. And, and so we started that lifestyle. I, was, I taught uh, experiential education for about 12 years in Southern California and uh, ended up in the ministry actually because of the Korean people. In the uh, late 70s, I was sent with a couple guys into the Korean. And at the, the time... Uh, at that time, the Korean people group was very unknown, uh, which I think is a great miracle that the Korean are in this church, because that's where it started for me. It's, and what a, what a privilege that has been. And we went, took our family. We were actually literally in the war zone uh, and worked there, came back, ended up in the ministry. And in those days, this was after, just at the end of the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement. And the thing to do was to go plant a church for young pastors. And I actually, believe it or not, was young. And... Uh, and had a game wife, and but didn't really want to leave what I was doing. I was associate pastor in a very significant church in Southern California. Didn't really want to leave the, the old ranch that we were living on, and it was a perfect, pretty ideal life. But a friend invited me, an old friend from C of I, uh, invited me to come up. He was rebuilding an airstrip in the middle of the uh, Frank Church wilderness with a team of mules. And I had worked with him for years. And he, we came up and flew into his, uh, into his uh, camp. And at, well, on that trip, we passed through Boise, which I was, when, when Nancy and I were here originally, Boise was 30, 40,000 people. And uh, it wasn't really a real impressive place. And the thought of planting a church in such a place, uh, you know, just, you really need to plant churches where there's people. And uh, there were no, in the early days, and so I I'd never thought about the possibility of planting a church in Idaho, although we loved Idaho and had great fond memories of it. We came through Boise on the way to the, to the wilderness area and supernaturally God just did something in our hearts. And uh, it just, we fell in love with the city. It was undergoing at that point, uh, this was in the late 80s, uh, 1980s, uh, it was undergoing some kind of reformation. And, 
I don't know, it was just like all of a sudden we got, and I'm in the wilderness area, we're camped on the Middle Fork, and, uh, and Nancy, we had, there's two stories. One is that I said, you know, I, she knew I was miserable because I was thinking, like I was fighting this thing. I didn't want to go to plant a church. About one out of 10 guys that w w went out to plant a new work somewhere made it. And I was pretty happy where I was, and I didn't really want to take the risk. And uh, Nancy was saying, well, you really should pray about it. And I go, I don't want to pray about it, really, because, uh, you know, I just don't want God to tell me I should do it. So uh, so we, we end up at this camp, and there's two stories. One, I said... Um, you know, I think I should go take a walk. And she said, the other story is she said, I think you should go take a hike. <laughs> because I was so miserable and probably miserable to be with because I was going through this. And uh, I walked up this mountain. I just climbed and climbed and climbed throughout the morning until I got to the top of this mountain. And I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, what do you want of me? And I'm in my, uh, I'm about 40 years old. And uh, the Lord really doesn't speak anything to me. And I'm walking back down. I thought, I look down, I see my, the camp down miles below me, like a postage stamp. And I, I look down and I see, I go, well, this is crazy that I'm up here. My family's down there. Uh, here I am with my friends and, you know, in a beautiful place. And I need to get back. And on my way down, to make a long story short, I find, I spot something bright yellow on the other side of a ridge from me, and it just catches my attention. And I'm just curious what it is. And so I, I walk down through this draw and up the other side, and I come to this, this bush, and it was burning and not being consumed. And <laughs> here's a bush. It was actually a thorny bush, and underneath this bush is, is this balloon, yellow balloon. Now, I understand, I'm in the middle of the biggest wilderness area in the continental United States. I'm praying, and I'm asking God for a word, and I, I'm on the top of this mountain, or I'm almost on the top of this mountain, and, I'm, and, and here is this yellow balloon that actually has a picture of Noah's Ark on the side of the balloon. So I know it's been sent from God. And, uh, and I, I'm actually a kind of an authority on this because I've, I had found two or three other balloons with notes in them in the past. Now, how many people do that? So I'm conditioned that balloons can have notes. And it's another story for another time. But I feel this balloon, and this, I could see a, st a string on the balloon. And I could actually see it this, that something had been tied there, but it was long, long ago gone. And so, but I also know, because I'm kind of an authority on the subject, that sometimes people roll up notes and put them inside balloons and release them. And I felt the balloon, and sure enough, there was a, there was a note inside. Now I'm... A little nervous <laughs> because where I am there's no you know there's no trash you know I mean there's no there's just nothing I mean there's like you wouldn't even find a beer can where I was right and here's this thing and I, I go up in into the sunshine on the side of the ridge and I tear open the balloon and I pull out this little scroll of paper and it says first John 4 7 and 8 go love people So I'm reliving the experience. <laughs> and so I, I just go, well, Lord, this is like a little Sunday school thing. I, I, like it, I need a real note, like a real word, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm asking the question, should I go to Boise, Idaho to plant a church? And then the Lord spoke to me by the Spirit and said, I don't care where you go. I just want you to go build a church that loves people. Do you want to do it in Boise? <laughs> and I said, yes, Lord, I do. And in one year, there was 12 families joined Nancy and I and made, you know, sold their homes, gave up their jobs, 
and moved a thousand miles to a place they'd never been or seen before and set up with nothing in their minds, nothing in their hearts except to build this church. And others immediately started gathering and joining us. But the point isn't about the fact that the Boise Vineyard was a successful church plant. The point is, is that it's a special church with a special calling at a special time such as this. Where there, you know, like Nancy said, the thing that rings in her mind is, you know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, and that's something that there's just way too little of. And if there's ever a time that there would be a church that would rise up not in just a superficial kind of love, because immediately we tried to do loving things. We tried to feed the poor. We tried to, to you know, free the addict. We tried to do the kinds of things that we thought were loving things. But part of being a Protestant monk is it gives you the opportunity to think deeper further like what does that really mean and that's what really I've been spending my time doing you know I want to I want to just read and I'll turn this back to Trevor here but I think it's important it's just to read the, this passage that was on that note dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, does not know God because God is love. Think about that. That's not just a little Sunday school scripture. That's like the gospel encapsulated. God is love. And anyone who knows God loves in a real deep sense of the word. So you can't just say, okay, yeah, we're gonna just be nice to people. This is about the love of God, the depth of the love of God, you know, illuminating out of our lives into a world and into a community that doesn't understand it. A love that heals, a love that transforms and a love that changes people's hearts and lives. And to get, tap into that kind of love, you know, it changes your whole ideology of the world that you live in. And I think the church, frankly, has lost its way. I'm talking about the, the big C church. Is, you know, it has to get back to the basic of why we're even gathered here. So I'll turn that over to you and <laughs> see if you can fix, fix it. I asked Tri when we were talking about this morning, I asked him if he would kind of put on his grandfather hat. Uh, that's kind of the role that he and Nancy have now for us as the second generation of the vineyard is his grandparents and if it's there's like anything my grandkids you, don't listen to if me there's anything you want to say yeah. to us <laughs> they just laugh at me anything Which else is, you want to say to us well sure <laughs> <laughs> you know you, I was telling Trevor I, you know when you really start talking about love it has teeth and uh I think all of us have been to weddings and we've heard the love chapter Mm -hmm. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul defines love, what it is. Now, understand, God is love. So this is a definition of God. And it's a definition of godliness. And it's therefore, it's a definition of Christ-likeness. And if we, it says, we know God, then we love. So it's a definition of authentic Christianity. 
And I'm going to read it to you. And I don't want you to hear it like you've heard it at weddings, okay? I'm talking about the real thing. And I'd like you to overlay this on the world we're living in right now. You know, I remember being a little kid and, and singing in school, America the Beautiful, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That was like a prayer. And I'm telling you, I have never known, you know, a time where a nation has been so divided. And I'm telling you this, the church is the hope. And the, and the, re the reason that it's the hope is because if we really are this, then it's gonna change our whole ideology of, of, of who we need to be in the world. A number of years ago, six years ago, it's amazing how time flies. And I wrote a book called Reform and it was a prophetic, I can't believe it was that long ago, but it was like a prophetic view of where we are right now. And the tagline of the, of the book was the decline of American evangelicalism, but a path for a new generation to find faith. Hmm. And in the book, I said there was going to be a migration out of the church of Gen Zs and millennials because of their perception of the church. And the reform was all about what will bring them back. Maybe not back, but will do the same thing that happened to my generation during the Jesus movement. It brought them together in Jesus. In the authentic, simple gospel. Without all the trappings of, of human ideologies and politics. Paul says this, love is patient and love is kind. Now that's, we get that. That's what it is. But let me tell you what it isn't. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not e easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It, is all, it, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's love. That's Christ-like. That's godliness. And if you overlay that on the world we're living, we're missing the mark. We need to get back to the authentic faith because honestly, that's the only thing that's gonna change anything. Politics is not gonna change anything. So as a grandpa, that's what I'd say. <laughs> Amen. Try, I know you've been writing a book on gratitude. When you get that done, would you be willing to come back and share a message, take the whole morning and talk about gratitude? Yeah, it'll take more than a morning, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's called a journey of gratitude. And it's really my memoir of life starting back in the days I first came to Idaho as a 17-year-old kid. It tells the story of this church. It tells a lot of stories. And, uh, and it basically brings... The, the story is more than a memoir. It's a memoir with a purpose that brings the reader to the place that I find myself today, and why. And it took a lifetime to get there. So, yeah, I, I would love to. <laughs> We'd like that to try. Thank you. <laughs> Rihanna does have some of Tri's previous books out uh, on display near the book counter. 
uh, in the in the bookstore. So if you'd like to to get one of the previous books, um, you can do that. And then when the gratitude book comes out, then we'll we'll make that available. So um, that's where we've been. That's our origin story. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story and how many times I've personally been inspired by it. Uh, For my part, I I came to uh, the Vineyard uh, as a recent high school grad. I was going to Boise State. Uh, I was 18 years old. It was 1990. Uh, Church was about eight months old, and I came and uh, and became a member of the church. We were in a different different building. Um, But I I joined the church and immediately was captivated by the heart uh, of love and discipleship that was here. Uh, I joined the church on staff about 10 years later. I got a picture here of uh, Tri-Did Andrews and my wedding. And so there's there's Tri and I back in 95. Uh, And here's Andrea and I. Um, It's coming, there we go. Ah, uh, look at all that hair. Um, so I joined the church in 1990. In 1999, Andrea and I were actually living in Southeast Asia. We've been uh, over there for about three years teaching at a Bible school. And Tri called us and offered us a job as youth pastor back here at our home church. And so we came on staff in January of 99 and um, we're here for uh, well over a decade um, Walked through a, uh, a leadership transition with Tri beginning, uh, well, it was a long transition, but it culminated in November of 2012. And so in November of 2012, uh, we had a, a leadership transition. I stepped into the lead pastor role. And the following summer, so summer of, of 2013, um, I was having a morning where I was praying for vision for the church. Um, We'd just come off of a very significant weekend where we had done uh, a new outreach project to Garden City. And it had gone beyond my wildest imagination. And, and something was stirring in me about, about this was more than just the event. Like God was, was stirring something in me about, about what had happened in Garden City. And so it was a Monday morning and I, I, following that weekend and I was walking around campus, I was praying, spent the morning praying through Joshua chapter one. Joshua one is, is a, a leadership transition from the first generation of Israel to the second. And in it, there's a bunch of promises that God makes to the second generation and the leadership about what God was going to do and what their part in it was and what he was going to do. And so I was praying through Joshua chapter one and I was writing in a journal. I remember sitting uh, on the, kind of on the hill up here next to the, the softball backstop on our field back here and just journaling for a while. And then when I got done, I, I just started walking the campus. And I was saying, God, you know, would you speak? Would you show me what you want to do in this new season? And as I was walking, I, I stumbled across something in the gutter that almost took my breath away. Laying in the gutter was a deflated yellow balloon. <laughs> and I understand the context. Like, I'm, I've heard this story, been inspired by the story of try finding the balloon for, for years. I, don't, I can't even count how many times I've heard the story. And I see this yellow balloon while I'm praying for vision. I'm like, oh my gosh, God is is going to speak to me and give me my own yellow balloon. <laughs> so I, I mean, I caught my breath and I just like, kind of tried to take in the moment and I took off my chacos because this was holy ground, you know? <laughs> and, and, I, and I pick up the balloon and I feel it and it's empty. I think I cussed. I know I took a picture of it with my phone and sent it to try. And then I, I, I brought it inside. I carried it inside. This is 2013. I still have what's left of this in my office on the bookshelf. It's just fragments of yellow balloon at this point. But I carried it in and, and Maureen Palm and, and Lori Thompson were in the reception area and they were part of the original church planning team from California. They're part of the team that, that came to Boise following this vision of building a church to go love people. And so they knew what this meant. I walked in and I said, hey, I found a yellow balloon. And they were like, oh. And I was like, there's nothing in it. <laughs> and then one of us said, and I don't remember who it was, but one of us said, maybe that's the message. 
And in that moment, I just felt God say, I'm not giving you a new mission. The mission is still go love people. Right? The model changes. The model for how to go love people changes according to the needs and the opportunities and, and who make up the church. The model can change, but the mission's always the same. Go love people. And in the same way that Tri heard the, the, the question of like, do you want to do it in Boise? I felt the question, God saying, do you want to love Garden City? And I said, yeah. Church, this is, this is our call. This is who we are. It's who we've been. It's who we are when we're at our best. We don't always get it right. We've blown it many, many times. Some of you have the scars. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when we live on mission, this is who we are. As I think about 2024 and we're moving into a, a year that, you know, we don't know what 2024 holds, but there's some indicators, right? There's war, there's economic hardships, there's housing crisis, there's a, there's a, a national election coming that promises to be every bit as divisive as the last one, if not more. Like this year is going to be a a pressure cooker. And God's call on us hasn't changed. It's to go love people. It's not go protest people. It's not go argue with people. He hasn't told us to go mock people. He's told us to go love people. We're called to be an alternative to the culture, not an echo of it. So here's what that means. It means we've got to be really rooted in God's love ourselves. Here's the, yeah, here, time for my title slide. <laughs> title slide. We're going to give me a series for the next couple of weeks called Go Love People. The title of this morning is Go Love More People because it hasn't changed. Again, the, 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 the model, so here, I get a quote here from uh, Andy Stanley. It was a leadership lesson that, Andy Stanley did for church pastors at one point. He said, marry your mission, but date your model. Or to put it another way, he said, fall in love with your vision. Okay, our, our vision, our mission is go love people. But stay mildly infatuated with your approach. So there's lots of ways that we express this call to go love people. And if you're involved in any sort of ministry here, that, at, at its core, it's not just about what happens in that ministry. That's an expression of, of how to go love people. We go love people by feeding them, by providing free medical care, by praying for people, by introducing people to the love of Jesus. We, we, we go love people by, by loving people that, that are irreligious. Jesus loved people that the religious community didn't love. That the, he was actually criticized for it because he, hang, he was hanging out with the wrong people. But Jesus' love was so extravagant and so infectious that people who weren't drawn to religion or felt ostracized by the religious community were drawn to him. And they found his love to be transformative. That's who we're called to be. When we say go make the invisible God visible, that's kind of a, a refreshing of the statement to go love people. But it's not really a new mission. It's Jesus came and showed what the Father was like. Jesus made the invisible God visible. And when we live the way that Jesus lived, then we, we do the same thing. That's how we go love people. It's by showing people what God is really like. I have a... I have a whole bunch of stuff in here that I'm not going to get to today. <laughs> what I will say is this. Um, Pastor Mike has written devotions for us for this week out of the book of 1 John, from which this scripture came. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, go love people. 
Uh, Pastor Mike has written devotions for us all out of 1 John, and he's focused. Uh, 1 John, by the way, is just an amazing book. I hadn't read it for a long time. I spent some time in the whole book this week. I was convicted. I was inspired. Uh, it is an amazing uh, little letter that's just dense and packed. But, um, but Pastor Mike's written devotions, and he's focused on the passages that connect love for God and love for people. And here's the thing, the, the, the way that we're called to love and the definition that even as Tri read out of 1 Corinthians 13 and that type of love, we don't have that in and of ourselves. We don't have that in our, in our humanness and in our independence. We don't have that kind of love. That only comes as a deposit from the, from the heavenly father. And when we experience that love, we're able to love the way he loved. So, what I, want, so I would encourage you, if you don't normally do that, um, Take advantage of our devotions this week. You can get them on, uh, by, by email. If you sign up to the website, you can get them by podcast. All this is on our website. Just go to the, the, in the main page and you'll find it. Um, if you need help, give us a call. We'll help you find it. But spend some time just rooting down in this message of love because it's, it's to the degree that we experience God's love ourselves that we can love the world the way that we're called to. So I'm going to close with this story because I felt like it was a picture uh, an experiential picture of 2024 and what it means to be the church uh, in 2024 living on mission. And so story of Peter, uh, Peter, the, the uh, apostle, the disciple. You know, we, Peter is featured in, in all of the gospels. The gospels are the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories about Jesus' life, his ministry, his teaching, his death and resurrection. Peter is all over those. And oftentimes he is kind of like a foil. You know, he's, he's not an antagonist, but he's kind of clumsy and he always kind of does the wrong thing. It's like he never quite gets it. He's a follower of Jesus, but he's just, he hasn't really matured yet, right? And so, you know, even at the, at the, towards the end of Jesus' earthly life, and Jesus has spent three years investing into them, Peter and the others are arguing about which one of them is the greatest, there's something missing there, right? And he's making grandiose promises to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, even if everybody else fails you, I will never fail you. And he's making all these promises, and that's who he wants to be. But he has these three just meltdowns in the final hours of Jesus' life. And so the first one comes when, when Jesus says, um, come and pray with me. And he invites three of them to go and pray with him in, in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden Garden of Gethsemane, a couple of gardens. Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying in the final moments and he's, he's expressing to the Father uh, his, his apprehension about what he's about to go through and also his yieldedness to God. But he asks his friends to go with him and pray with him. And when Jesus comes back to find them, they've fallen asleep. Peter has fallen asleep. And Jesus wakes him up and says, hey, pray with me. And this happens three times. Three times, Peter, when all he's been asked to do is to pray with Jesus, keeps falling asleep. Okay? That's the, the first failure. The second one is, uh, happens just a, a little bit later after the mob comes to arrest Jesus. And in his zeal for Jesus, and maybe his fear, I think there's probably quite a bit of emotion surging in him, when the mob comes, Peter grabs one of the weapons that they would use, which was a sword, and he swings it and lops off the ear of one of the, the people in the mob. It was one of the, the servants of a, of a soldier. And Jesus rebukes him and corrects him. In this moment, the chaotic moment, and Jesus has to stop and correct one of his disciples and say, that's not what my kingdom looks like. It doesn't look like grabbing the weapons that they use and using them on them. And Jesus bends down and he picks up his ear and puts it back and heals it. It's a second failure of Peter's. The third one happens, and it's actually a series of three, when he follows Jesus to the, the trial. And he's kind of hovering in the perimeter of, of what's happening, trying to watch what's happening. And three times people say, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And three times he denies it. The same one who said, even if everybody else abandons you, I won't. Three times he, he says, I don't even know the man. And that's, that's his failure. 
what happens out of that, well, we, we, we know the rest of the story and, you know, Jesus goes through the crucifixion, through the resurrection. But on the other side of that, there's this moment where Peter is so elated that Jesus is alive and also haunted by his failure. That in the critical hours of Jesus' you know, life, Peter failed him multiple times in multiple ways. And, and the, you know, when, when Jesus first called Peter, he said, Peter, leave your fishing nets and come follow me and you'll be, I'll, I'll show you how to be a fisher of people. But having failed Jesus so spectacularly, Peter goes back to fishing for fish. It's like he feels like he's, he's lost his calling, lost his mission. And he goes and says, I guess I'll just go back to fishing for fish. And on that day, he has an encounter with Jesus. And you can read about the whole story in John chapter 21. But Jesus, it's a miraculous catch of fish. And then Jesus makes breakfast for Peter and the other disciples. And then he pulls, after breakfast, he pulls Peter aside and has a conversation with him. It goes like this, John 21, 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I think this time he's not pointing to the people, he's pointing to the, the fishing nets. He said, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he can't say much more than that. He can't make the grandiose promises anymore. All he can say is, is, you know, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And that cycle repeats three different times. Three times for the three failures, three times for the three denials. And in every case, what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I know you failed the mission, but I want you to get up and go back and feed my, my sheep. And what emerges out of Peter is a, is a maturity that the way that he goes about living in the kingdom and walking out the gospel and living towards other people, it's very different. Because he had an encounter with grace, because he experienced God's grace, because he experienced his own need for grace, it transformed the way that he loved other people. He becomes a very compassionate person. When you read the letters that he wrote towards the end of his life, they're very different than the brash guy that we see in the gospels. He was transformed by grace. What the world reads right now, again, the world doesn't need an echo of itself. It needs an alternative. It needs a people who are personally encountering God's grace so that what we take to the world is not our character failures or our moral failures or our, you know, grabbing the weapons of the world and using them, but that what we come with is love. Transformative grace and love. And so the most important thing that we can do this year, the most important thing we can do together, and we put these yellow balloons back here and they're all together because this is, it's more powerful than any one of us individually. It's who we are together. The most important thing we can do is have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus and make space for those encounters in a regular way. There was actually a line in my devotional prayer this morning that I just wanted to read to you. Uh, it says, here's what we're after. Daily pursuit of God to develop the kind of holy habits that allow us to be pursued by the love of God and allow us to love and extend our hearts to our friends and to our community. The place of transformation actually happens as we make space in our personal lives for God to speak to us. The story Tri shared, the story I shared, both emerged out of us just making a little bit of space for God to speak to us. And when we do that, he speaks. Not always the way that we expect, not always the message we thought it was gonna be, but God shapes us. And it's out of that place of personal intimacy that we have the resources to go out and love in ways that frankly are impossible otherwise. We're called to be salt and light. So if I could say, church, who are we called to be this year? Well, we're called to be who we've been called to be. A church that loves people. Loves the addict. Loves the hungry. Loves the stranger. Loves the foreigner. 
loves the people who vote differently, loves the people who think differently, who live differently, love people. That's who we're called to be. If we could just close, all we're going to do this morning is just close with a time of just personal prayer. And here's my invitation. We're just going to make just a little bit of space, just to pause and just say, God, would you speak to us? As we move into 2024, would you cause us to mature? There's a, there's a line, I didn't get to it today. I comes in uh, 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 4 through 6. Peter, if you can find that slide. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. That word perfection, it doesn't mean that we never get it wrong and that we always get it right. The word perfection, it's a, it's a word that, that speaks to completion or full maturity. And all of us can relate, if we're honest, to Peter. We haven't totally arrived yet. We don't perfectly reflect the kingdom of God. But Jesus never asked for perfection. He asked for obedience. He asked us to, to, to get up and dust ourselves off and say, okay, I'll go feed your people. Whatever the calling is. If you feel like you failed Jesus, you've got good company. <laughs> Jesus says, if you want to show your love for me, go, go love people. Lord Jesus, as we together just begin this year remembering where we've come from and who we're called to be, we invite you to continue the good work you've begun in us. Jesus, as we studied the letter to the Philippians a few months ago and saw that verse that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of our Lord Jesus. God, we put our confidence in you, not in our, our own capacity to love people the way that you do, the, with the self-sacrificial love that you have. Lord, we, don't, we don't put confidence in that, but we put confidence in what you've done, how you've loved us so mercifully, so graciously, And so we offer you this year and say, would you complete the good work you've begun in us? Help us to mature. Help us to recognize the opportunities this year. New models. New ways of responding to that call. New ways of expressing that call. And Jesus, for each and every member of this church, of this, this spiritual family, I pray that you would show each one of us, awaken in us a desire for intimacy with you. For times of prayer, for times of listening, for times of meditating on scripture. Lord, would you awaken in us a desire that's not driven by duty or by shame, not by obligation, but by hunger. Awaken us a deep hunger for you. And Lord, as you satisfy that hunger and as we experience your transformative love for us, would you help us to love extravagantly, selflessly, obediently?
Jesus, thank you for those who've gone before us, whose lives were lived sacrificially and obediently and in faith. And that we get to, to be a part of that story. We yield ourselves to you. When we get off track this year, Holy Spirit, would you call us back? Would you nudge our hearts? When we start to live in ways that are not reflective of your kingdom and your ways and your heart, keep us on a short leash. Pour out your love in us and pour out your love through us for your glory, for our joy, and for the sake of your world. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, we like to always make space for prayer and ministry. Um, if you came this morning, we may have some words for prayer that we'll put on screen. I don't know if we do or not. But if you would like prayer this morning about anything, uh, that's part of how we love one another is we can, can, um, can just pray with one another. And so if you need prayer this morning, I'd invite you to, to come down and just be up here where our prayer team can find you. And uh, we'd love to join you in praying over you. Apart from that, church... Um, Again, remember, we got a lot going on next weekend. Ladies' lunch, meet and greet, all kinds of stuff. Don't forget your, uh, your month at a glance on the way out. But apart from that, go love people and go make the invisible God visible. Amen. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.